0: The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I mean, somebody's dead. Now imagine somebody came up to you and said, I don't believe in words. But, Go, oh, you know the you know the thing! You'd think that he was a fool. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm doing it really, really well. You wouldn't pull out a dictionary and give him evidence, and you wouldn't believe him. This is a mistake. Why would you call it that on your menu? Somebody comes up to you and says, I don't believe in God. possible! We don't think they're a fool. No! We give them the evidence. No! and we believe them. I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I I'm a little stitious. When the Bible calls them fools, something has gone wrong. Yo. I had to wait till my dad fell asleep so I could steal his keys. Ready? I was born ready. It's about time that a talk show host comes along and shreds social commentary of the unnecessary fat of illogical, you know, inconsistent thought and gives you the rock solid truth and only that. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. So, facts don't care about your feelings. Right. But here's the other thing. Reality isn't waiting around for anyone to acknowledge it. It doesn't need it. You you read some obscure passage and then pretend you pawn it off as your own own idea just to impress some girls, embarrass my friends. When the scriptures are properly exegeted and that truth is proclaimed, it is authoritative whether we bow the knee to it or not. Wait, wait. I worry what you just heard was... Give me a lot of bacon and eggs. Do you believe there are laws of logic then? I'm not prepared. I really am not. Absolutely. Are they universal? Yep. It's made with bits of real panther. They're agreed upon by human beings. They aren't laws that exist out in nature. They are are they simply conventional? They're conventions, conventions, but they're conventions that are self-verified. Rick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while. Are they sociological laws or laws of thought? When they say 2% milk, I don't know what the other 98% is. They are laws of thought which are interpreted by men. So you know it's good. But they are who we thought they were! Formulated by men. Are they material in nature? First of all, skis need wax. It's quite pungent. How can a law be material? They've done studies, you know. That's the question I'm going to ask you. 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> I would say no. Oh, no. No! 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 Fact, the first time I gave an opportunity to pass Dr. Uh, give my hand. I'm not prepared. I really am not prepared. Dr. Johnson uh, would you call God material or immaterial? Immaterial. Okay. No, I'm my best right. advice to you? Yeah. Shut up. What is something that's immaterial? Brooksy, if I want to explain it to you, I would. Something not extended in space. You can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? watching. I declare bankruptcy! Being revealed from heaven against all the and All right, welcome to the Skiologians. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, one, two, three. Welcome to Skiologians on Shovel Lake Public Radio, brought to you by all the friends down here at Cedarskier.com. Uh, we have a, a quick episode I want to do. No, this is not in line with our Recovering Biblical Manhood and womenhood, Womanhood Studies. We were doing that. Uh, we are still doing that, but we're releasing those once a week. This is a true Skiologians episode, and this is like the true essence of Skiologians here coming up. And here's what I mean by that: Skeologians was meant to be when sports and that the culture in sports sort of intersects theology. Then we we launch an episode. We explain it from the foundation on up. And um, so that's going to be here. This is this is the essence of sport and the essence of theology. I think because I, I would say the essence of theology is what we're doing. What brings glory to God. Really, the the, the the pinnacle of all creation, everything that is happening is happening to bring glory to God, the creator, and uh, all things are, are doing that. That's like that essence. The essence of sports is giving 100% effort to be the best that you can be, I think. So This what we're about to talk about today is the intersection of both. So this comes thanks to um, uh, my uh, the pastor of my church, First Baptist uh, Church of Leadville, And, sorry, so First Baptist Church of Leadville, Pastor Tanner Thetford, uh, has been preaching through Ecclesiastes, and the, I think I've mentioned this before on the show, kind of like I haven't really, I've never studied Ecclesiastes, I'm a big time apologetics guy, and the cool part is, about this study, is Ecclesiastes is really the secularist looking at the necessary conclusions of his worldview, and determining that it's all meaningless which is totally true and maybe this is why so when i when i would open up ecclesiastes i think i looked at that bible as a youngster kind of uh, that book as a young a youngster kind of thinking oh this is the one book that doesn't really make sense you know like he's saying some of these things are meaningless and i don't think those are meaningless and that's that was <laughs> kind of the thing It's like well don't really pay attention to ecclesiastes right i didn't really know how to handle it kind of like in Job when his friends are, are giving him some truths and some are not truths, and you're like, well, uh, this is all scriptures God breathed. we got to look into that at some point, too. But Ecclesiastes is, is really epistemological in its nature and that it is demonstrating that with a secular worldview, void of God, um, this is the necessary conclusions. Okay, so there's like your preface. So the sermon on February 21st, which you can find on Facebook, uh, the videos for, for First Baptist Church of Leadville, all the sermons are there. And the reason I'm, I was listening to it, posting this today, is I'm still kind of doing some makeup work as uh, many of these sermons were taking place um, on days when I had races and I wanted to sit down and really engage with this sermon series um, so often on those Sundays, I will I will often tune in in some other fashion, a way I can download it on my own time to to take in a sermon, listen to worship music. A lot of times it's been actually travel, not necessarily racing on a Sunday, but there's been a few. So anyway, there's the there's me giving my guilt trip uh, excuses, I guess. I'll launch right in, okay? This is on the sermon was on Ecclesiastes two seventeen through twenty seven. And the title was "Working for the Weekend." The essence of this sermon was on the theology of work. So, I'm just gonna really race through this here. You can tell I'm talking really fast. Actually, part of the reason is I just got a package in from Swix, some new gear. I want to get out for an afternoon ski. It's just perfect weather for it. But I do want to. I do want to do this show. So the theology of work, uh, you know, in in essence, kind of, we all are working for the weekend. We're stuck in this cycle where uh, we, we want the weekend to come so we can do what we want. The work is sort of like. We are enslaved to that. And Tanner kind of brings up this point that... Actually, what we're really trying to escape when we go to the weekend is we're trying to escape the toil of work. That is the part that is disgusting to us. We don't like it, and we that's why Sunday night is awful, because Monday is the next day. And So it's that toil of work that we're trying to kind of run away from. Work, in and of itself, is a gift of God. It was good in the creation before the fall, there was work. God gave us jobs to do. Genesis 1.28, we were to rule over, have dominion, take care of, cultivate the earth, and uh, to be fruitful so we were given tasks to do adam obviously had a task of naming the animals as well uh work in and of itself is a good thing a good part of creation it's it god has created us to do this work and the toil is what happened after the fall. That's what came along after the fall and made it so that our work involved a sense of struggle. And so that was kind of the preface of that. In, work in and of itself is a good thing. It does have a purpose. We can delight in it. Um, and we, we should be tr- um, sh- uh, enjoying that essence of work in that sense. Okay, and and then you mentioned a few pitfalls that these are worth mentioning. You can probably make the connections to sport as well. Uh, one one there's two tendencies. One of them is we can fall into a place where we identify we we place our identity in our work, and that is sinful. We should not even though work is important, and this is. Um, convicting, I think, mostly for, for men who, again, if we're connecting this to our m- m- mature masculinity concepts, that the man should feel a sense of urgency to uh, be the responsible person who's responsible for putting bread on the table. To, pro- to provide for. So that can lead to a sinful sense of, yes, my work is really important. And so I can, I can be a workaholic and <clears throat> a workaholic and cultivate my identity in my job. And the failure there is if you are successful in doing that, and you are successful by secular standards in your job, you rise to the top, you lose because you lose your soul. And, uh, and and you, you have identified in that fully, and that is not good. Um, and ultimately, ultimately as well, the author of Ecclesiastes is true in saying that even if you're super successful, who cares? You're just going to die and pass that on to the next person who not only didn't deserve it, but who knows what they're going to do with all that you have worked hard to accumulate and achieve. It just gets passed on. That's Ecclesiastes 2:17 through 27. Again, you'll, you'll read that right away. It's like, what difference does it make? I might have done everything right, worked hard, been disciplined— and then I die, and I pass this off to some sluggard, perhaps who who doesn't deserve it. But either way, what's the meaning of it? Nothing. And and if you fail, uh, you place your identity in work. You are a workaholic, but you fail. Let's say you get fired, you lose your job, or whatever. Now you've really you, you have no foundation, so you've kind of lost who you are. And I think in in sense of sports, we've all sort of tiptoed this line in either direction. I know we can tend to place our identity in our achievements in who we are as an athlete uh, as a runner as a basketball player whatever it is and you you have uh, we've probably all experienced that sense where when you do that and you you lose out you know you get injured and you disappear and you feel you're in a very dark place and there's a reason it's because you've placed your identity in something that was never meant to hold that much weight and not have that mu- that much worth and then the other side of it as well is, of course, being lazy. And um, that's a that's a tendency as well. Um, we are not called to be lazy. What are we called to do as Christians in our work? Well, Colossians 3, 17 through 24 speaks to this point fully. Okay, here is what Colossians 3, starting in verse 17, says. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Skipping down to... 23 Whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving Okay and this is not good exegesis if you do this, but this was something I, as I was listening to this sermon, I just was like, okay, those verses, for whatever reason, they just like immediately connected with me on a, a really emotional level as I read through them. I was like, what are, what are the main points I'm getting from this? And here's what it is. Work with all of your heart. We're working for the Lord. Do everything in Christ's name and give thanks. That was hidden in there. I don't know if you caught that. But let's think about this. Work with all of our heart. That sounds a whole lot like what my philosophy of sport is. Give a hundred percent effort to be the best that you can be. Working for the Lord. Everything we're doing, we are not doing for a paycheck, we are not doing in order to win a trophy or win favor amongst men or win a next sponsorship or a next contract if you are an athlete. You are not working for those things. You are working for Christ. So any training session you are doing, do it as if you are serving the Lord. When you are a teacher making lessons, lesson plans, you are ultimately working for God any of those jobs that do end up in with a paycheck coming on the other end, ultimately you are still working for God. You are serving Christ ultimately. That is the outlook we are to have on work. That is the, the essence of a, the theology of work could be boiled down to that. Whatever you are doing, you are doing it for God. Therefore, give 100% effort. In other or, or in other ways, as the Bible says, you are working for Christ, work with all of your heart. Tanner made the connection here that essentially saying the degree of the effort you are giving towards the tasks you are doing in work um, is, is connected directly to your religion as a Christian. Because God is commanding you to work with all of your heart. If you are washing the dishes with 60% of your heart, you are not following God's command. If you are, as a, if you work as a foreman or you work as an engineer or you work as a teacher or a doctor, the reason that you give 100% effort to be the best doctor, pilot, teacher that you can be is because Christ commands it and because ultimately you're doing it for Christ. You know what? It's not that... Well, when you switch that outlook, when you switch the outlook for I'm not doing this job ultimately for my family, I'm not doing this job ultimately for the paycheck, I'm ultimately doing this this job as if I am serving my true master, Christ, when we switch that outlook, it is so much easier to give 100% effort to be the best that we can be. And you know why? It's because that foundation is unchanging and it's eternal in its purpose. When we have a purpose that is, well, and this is part of my philosophy. I don't know if I've I've done enough. To, I should talk more about my philosophy of sports. This is why it connected to me on an emotional level. This sermon directly, it it, it connected to what I have written out as my philosophy of sport and posted on my page. My philosophy of sport is, is that well, I guess the title, Search for Truth, Play with a Purpose, and Strive for True Success. The Strive for True Success is the giving 100% effort to be the best you can be. The purpose is right here. The Christian's purpose is, is ultimately, I'm doing this for Christ. That purpose is so strong; it will motivate a human to work much, much harder to be 100% of what they can be. Than if your purpose is simply, I'm doing this as an athlete to be a legend. I'm doing this to make it to the Hall of Fame. I'm doing this to build a legacy. I'm doing this just to uh, for my next contract. I'm doing this because the sport just in and of itself is fun. I'm doing this for all of the people in my tribe or in my country. No, those things pale in comparison to the ultimate motivation, which is I do this for the Lord of the universe who loves me and has created me and who's by decree every atom in my body obeys and moves and everything is held together by His, the power of his word. That's a much more incredible—and and you know what else? That other part of, that was hidden in there, the thanks part, give thanks, that's embedded then. Because when you recognize that you are doing this for Christ, but also it's by Christ's very power and word and decree that, that you even are able to um, move your index finger to tie your shoe for the next run, much less finish the five-by-one-mile repeat workout— when you recognize that that he is the one that's uh, in, in total control of that and has total sovereignty over that, it's pretty easy to give thanks, too, as long as you remember to. And so I guess what I'm so excited about, was so excited about this sermon is it kind of gave the biblical foundation for my philosophy of sport that I've held all along. So again, my philosophy is, yeah, true success, which is what every athlete should be striving for, can be defined as giving 100% effort to be the best version of you that's possible. That doesn't just apply to sports, that applies, it's transcendent towards all areas of life, which by the way, is where the value of sport inherently lies. If you know how to give hundred percent effort to be the best runner you can be or volleyball player you can be you can guarantee that those same tools can be used to be the best mom you can be to be the best teacher doctor librarian you name it that's the value of sports but but so that strive for true success is built upon a purpose and the the the, the surety of your purpose is what determines the level that you will strive it really does the the that's the why the secularists like to say, and I've heard this before in in presentations in sports psychology motivation. They say, "What's your why? What's your why?" Um, that's the purpose. And the Christian goes, "My my why? Well, ultimately to glorify God. He's a creator of this universe, whether whether you recognize or not. Ultimately, I'm here to glorify Him. Uh, that's my why. I'm working as if I'm working for God. To be honest." And, and the search for truth part, that final component, that's that's the Bible. The truth is in the Bible. The truth I just said, that we work for Christ ultimately, that he's Lord of all, that's the ultimate truth, the objective truth. Again, whether you as an unbeliever accept it or not, doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's objectively true. And because the scripture is objectively true, the scripture is God-breathed. The creator of the universe has revealed his truth to us through his word. It's his self-authenticating, all-powerful, uh, infallible revelation that he's given to us. That's the ultimate truth we can stand by as well. It's unshakable. Okay, and so here's the here's the thing that I will just share personally as well on this point that really connected me. Now, hopefully you're catching all of that. Um, here's something I had to think about. Oh, hold on, let me get my afternoon coffee here. It's going to fuel a long 40-kilometer ski well into the evening tonight. something you can only do. When you don't have kids, I need to savor these evenings that I can do that, right? As Ajay takes a nap. I took her too far yesterday. She thought she was going like seven miles and it turned into like 16. Anyway, the personal part, I have noticed in my own life a little bit of a struggle back and forth with certain things is relating to sports, my motivation, my dedication to it. And I think for the last... Really, the last seven or eight years, ever since my college athletics ended, I really haven't let up at all in my intensity or drive to be the best athlete I can be. In fact, I would say I've probably increased in my intensity and drive for those things. And I think I've struggled with the idea of like, am I just really kind of struggling to let go of the fact that I was unhappy with how collegiate athletics finished and I feel like I've got more to give and I just truly have this kind of innocent desire to see my potential and what I can do because that's pretty typical of most athletes. Most athletes do feel like that. Even ones that are successful in college still are like, you know, I think I have more. I, I want to see what I can really do. I want to I see my potential to the, to the end. And I think there was a part of me that thought, well, that's a fair feeling to have. So if that's kind of what is motivating you, fine, so be it. But, you know, there was also this part of my heart that was like, you know, I, I, I actually treat athletics like it's a job. And and with that level of seriousness and intent, it's, it's, it's as if it's a job, but I don't get a paycheck for it. So then I kind of was like, well, if I'm going to treat it with the seriousness of a job, I should try to justify that by at least getting some sort of financial compensation for it, you know, whether it's sponsorships or free things or that or whatever. And here's here's the point that stuck out to me in the sermon that sort of really was enlightening is Tanner mentioned that not all work has a paycheck at the other end. And I was like, whoa, okay, so... everything I do I should do with all my heart and everything I should do I should do as if I'm serving the Lord so that means even like when I'm doing household chores I should do it as if I'm serving the Lord and do it to the best of my ability I should be the best dishwasher I should be the best um, window washer the best oil changer the best everything right I should be the best I can be at least at those things I should do it as if I'm serving the Lord okay And, and I don't get a paycheck for that no one pays me for washing the dishes and no one pays me for doing any of those those tasks. And you know what? No one no one else pays me for writing blog posts that Facebook tries to keep limiting to like ten people. <laughs> no one no one's paying me to do that. No one's paying me to um, to read recovering biblical manhood and womanhood and draft up notes and and produce little shows. Uh, no one's paying me for that. No one's paying me to go and train. 1100 hours in the year, and be obsessively about it, and try to be the best I can be to go to races and do the best I can. No one's paying me for that either. And I've sort of thought to myself, like, man, wouldn't it be great if, if all those things I really live for, like sports journalism and writing and theology and sports itself and training, being like wouldn't it be great if I that was just my livelihood? That's just what I did for work every day. But no, I got to have a real job that makes money. Well. There's some, in a sense, truth to the fact that as the as the man and mature masculinity, I do want to provide for my family, and so I have that financial obligation. But but who says that all those other things aren't just as important for the Lord as work for the Lord? Maybe even more important in some ways. If my passions are being um, in a in bent in a way to produce shows and study theology and train like I am, and to treat those things as work. It doesn't matter that there's not a paycheck coming on the other end, because that never mattered in the first place. If I was paid $20,000 a year to be a teacher, but I'm working for the Lord, what difference is that versus getting paid $70,000 a year, but working for the Lord? Either way, by the Bible standards, I should be giving 100% effort to be the best teacher I can be, and I should be working as if I'm working for God. Not a certain district, not a certain pay level, pay scale, doesn't matter. So if I'm if I'm producing Skeologians and I'm doing it for an audience of 100 or I'm doing it for an audience of 1 million, it doesn't really matter. Even if the audience of a million means I get a paycheck on the other side, it doesn't matter. Either way, ultimately, I'm doing those things for God. That's work for the Lord. If you're a stay-at-home mom, the reason you give 100% effort and full seriousness and treat it as a duty and a job is because it is a job. It just doesn't have a paycheck. A job doesn't have to have a paycheck. That's, that's earth-shattering information, I think, to me, and hopefully it is to you as well. Because even if all the jobs you do have do have a paycheck, are you doing them for that paycheck? Or are you doing it and working for it as if you are working for Christ? Huge difference. Huge difference. Um, so that was something that was just uh, something to really think about for me, and 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 I guess I'm not saying well now that justifies me, you know, being irresponsible and and obsessive about sports, but I think I've written I've read some things where it's like don't f- uh, flitter away your time with hobbies and sports and games. That was actually in the biblical manhood book, the maturity section for men. It was you know don't waste away your time. That's true. If, you are treat, if I was treating sports not like it was a job, not doing it as if I'm doing it for Christ, but, but somehow putting it in another category, like the same category where I'm watching Star Wars or a Netflix show, this is simply a leisure activity. I have no intent to further the kingdom with it. We all have things that we are doing that are like that. Now, this verse should convict us to eliminate as much of that as we can in our lives, to be intentional with everything we are doing. But the fact of the matter is, is, Sports, to me, as a pursuit, is a job. And the reason it's a job is because I'm doing it as if I'm working for Christ. And because of that, I can't give anything less than 100% effort. I can't give anything less than 100% seriousness in its pursuit. I can't. So sorry if that seems like a personal diatribe here I'm going on. But my message, I guess, to the listeners here, first of all, if you are a Christian and you are an athlete, You now have been equipped with some biblical truths to lay a foundation for an unshakable purpose to go out there and glorify God through your athletics, okay? Um, and, and if you didn't get it, you got to re-listen to this. You got to read Colossians. You got to pray about this. But the, you should be uh, approaching your athletics not to win the hearts of the cheerleader, not to get some Instagram views, not to stand on top of a podium and have people worship you. You should be doing this as if you're doing it for Christ, and that should motivate you to um, go outside when it's dark and cold and no one wants to train, to put up a few extra hundred uh, shots at night after practice, to get the, into the weight room when it's when you're tired. All those things. Okay. If you are someone who does not know Christ and you are listening to this show and you are, are skeptical about it and you, you doubt some of the things I'm saying or you think it is um, that, that these views are just purely subjective and you've got your own way, my challenge to you is to think about what is the purpose? What is your why? Okay, fine. Tell me. What's your why? Um, if it's not um, serving the creator of the universe – do you have something better that is uh, more substantial, more sufficient, uh, more motivating to you, more eternal? Okay, like if, if and, and, and quite frankly, if there is no such thing as eternity for you, then who cares? Who really cares if you get hurt? Who cares if you win a gold medal? Who cares if you get better or if you get worse or if you quit altogether? If we're just dirt and dust, all of that is meaningless. That is That's the logical conclusion that it would be meaning meaningless. And if you're just going to say, well, I can just create my own meaning. That's subjective and that's just totally on you. It's totally on you. This is not something I'm saying. I'm not saying that my purpose is subjective. I'm saying it is objective, derivative of God, not derivative of me at all. And if it was, then it would it would be just the same. Uh, but 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 that challenge I would just leave you with that is thinking about going back to your foundation. What's the thing that gets you out of bed? What's the thing that makes you put in a, a training session at all for any reason? And what's the end game? What's the end goal? What's the meaning of sports in your worldview? What's the value of sports in your worldview? right The, the, the value of sports here again, it's it's giving you the tools to be an incredible worker in in many other facets of life as a nurse, as a librarian, as a math teacher. And you might ask, well, well, why does that matter even? Is that the, That's not the end of the story. The reason that as a Christian, we want you to use sports to teach you how to be a great math teacher is because in being a math teacher, just like in sports, you are ultimately working for Christ, glorifying him. So you, by golly, better be the best math teacher that you can possibly be, or you're not carrying your weight as a, as a servant, as a soldier in Christ's army, quite frankly. Okay, I don't know... <laughs> <laughs> Starting this show, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm gonna get out of, out for my ski at like 10 o'clock at night. I'm gonna have to talk forever. This was one of the more meaningful skiologian messages I thought that I have needed to share, and somehow finished under 30 minutes. I guess I think we just got to leave it and let it sit like that. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this, and hopefully you are uh, blessed by it as well. Uh, feel free to reach out if you have some more questions on this it'd be fun to talk about it and have a conversation uh this is skiologians and we will see you next time